You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. This morning, I'm very excited to welcome our guest, Pastor Rich Green. I've been attempting to get him to come and share and pour into our community for two years. So this has been a long time coming this morning, so you can just sense the anticipation this morning. But this, this school year, we have devoted to pressing in and understanding the theme of kingdom as a church family. Um, I believe it's, it's one of the most important paradigms through which to understand Christian life. And if you've never heard Christianity talked about in terms of kingdom, then I'm sorry. I apologize for that. This morning and this entire school year, you're going to get a thorough do- dose of what, what it means to follow Jesus, King Jesus, and then to walk in the ways of his kingdom. If you've heard Christianity talked about in terms of kingdom, but you've never understood it, this year is for you to grow in your understanding of what that means. And if you're a person who, who's walked with Jesus for a long time and you understand you understand what it means to be a kingdom person. It's, this is an opportunity for you to increase that understanding and then to impart that to all, also to other people around you and bring them along in this adventure of serving King Jesus. So, so last week we started talking about kingdom culture and being students of culture. It's so important if we're going to follow King Jesus that we understand his ways and devote ourselves to his ways. So we, we, last week we talked about the way of honor. This morning we have Pastor Rich coming and talking about the way of mission He served as a missionary in Bangladesh, um, but for the last 13 years, he's been in the States planting Life Church in Coralville, uh, Iowa, right outside Iowa City, and he's done a phenomenal job leading a community after expressing the kingdom of God in their city. And so he came to mind as one who just embodies kingdom culture so well. And so in typical LifePoint fashion, would you help me in welcoming Pastor Rich Green? I do. All right. Can you hear me? Uh, Man, good morning, LifePoint. What a blessing. Um, I mean, I'm really happy to see all of you. I really am. Um, I'm especially happy to be with my friends and, and honestly, my family. Uh, When I met the Meyer clan, let 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 me illustrate how I met a Meyer the very first time. Uh, we were uh, uh, interviewing for the Chi Alpha campus pastor in Iowa, at University of Iowa at Life Church, and Tony and Kayla came, uh, or was, I think it was just you, Tony, maybe it was just you, and um, Tony walks in, and I had never met Tony before, and he walks in, he's never met me before, and uh, he walks up to me, and I stuck my hand out to shake his hand, and I am not kidding you, we've never met. He slapped my hand out of the way and gave me a hug. <laughs> uh, it's a good thing I love that. So, uh, <laughs> um, now, and over the years, you know, you know that Tony was our worship pastor at Life Church, and uh, we, I, I, right before service, uh, as he was standing up here, I walked up and I'm, I just welled up in emotion because I said I miss seeing Tony leading worship at Life Church. And I love you, Tony. And Drew, man, what a blessing to be here. Uh, Can I tell you guys, um, you have amazing, amazing, amazing leadership in this church. And I hope you see that. I hope you know that. These are not just, they're not just qualified pastors and teachers. It's not just that. They are men and women of God that, that make it a priority 
to put Jesus Christ as the true shepherd of the church, and they understand themselves as under-shepherds in the church. They understand that to navigate a church and navigate a community and navigate reaching the world for Jesus Christ is about listening to the Holy Spirit and responding to the Holy Spirit. And they, they are the real deal. And I would encourage you to just go all in with them. They're amazing. And I love you guys. And you can pay me later for that. So that's fine. That's fine. Well, my name is Rich Green, and you've, you've heard that already. Um, I was born and raised in the country of Panama. My mother is Panamanian. My father was from Columbus, Ohio. And, but I lived there for 17 years before we moved to the States. I'm married. Uh, I've been married to Christy Green. She, was, she would have been here. She was actually scheduled to come, but there's some situation going on in her family. Her, her mother's um, husband passed away, and so she's working today so she can go off to, to be with the family. But anyways, uh, been married to her for 33 years, and we have four children. My oldest son, Jonathan, uh, he's 31 32, something like that, <laughs> and, um, and he is, he's got two little boys, Finn and Parker, and I love Finn and Parker, they're just the cutest kids in the world, and, and then my, my middle son, Josh, he is also married, and he has three kids, um, and then my youngest son, Gabe, he's in Knoxville, Tennessee, he's getting his, you know, working on a PA, he's becoming a PA, and, uh, and he has a little boy, he's probably the smartest four-year-old on the face of the earth. I mean that. I know you might, if you might have a four-year-old, and I'm sure he's smart, but this one's the smartest one. Um, yeah. Um, no, but uh, so, and then, and then the caboose. So we had three boys at first, and then we went to Bangladesh, and we were in Bangladesh for years, and, and there's a long story around this. But, uh, but then six years later, my daughter was born, and uh, my daughter, Caitlin, she's 22 years old, and she's actually a second lieutenant in the Air Force, and in who knows, in a few years, we'll be flying F, F-15s, Strike Eagles, that's her goal. And so this is the family that I have, and, um, and this is the family that I've been blessed with, and it's the family that has tolerated me and my wanderings for the last 33 years, too. Because <laughs> uh, really, uh, we have we've a value, a kingdom value that you guys, I so love the theme that you guys are in. But there's something about the kingdom. It talks about the Holy Spirit as wind, and it leads us wherever we go, and that we're responsive to that. And so from very early on, from the days of when I was weeping my eyes out to songs of Keith Green and saying, God, just send me wherever, you know, wherever you want me to go, God, I'll go. Um, and so that's happened. And my wife has come along in all those years. <laughs> And uh, sometimes it's taken us all over the place. We first, when we first got married, we were living in this little shack of a house because God called us to plant a church in Leesville, Louisiana. And uh, I mean, it was, they, the, the lady that said, you can come I, for free, you can stay at this place. She said, it's a little cottage in, behind my house. That's what she called it. So when we heard cottage, we were like, yes, and it's free. She meant to say shack, but anyways... We've lived there, you know, with armadillos running underneath the house and cows waking us up in the morning, and it was just crazy. And then, you know, we've, we've been in, in, in Bangladesh as missionaries. We've been in California. We've been all over the place. And I'm just so thankful for my wife, Christy, who, who also has that value of hearing what the Holy Spirit says and doing what the Holy Spirit says to do. And, uh, and that's, and so I'm thankful for my family. Um, I, you know... We've planted two churches 
I've been associate pastor of two different churches. We've been a missionary for 10 years in Bangladesh. And I just can't tell you, I am, I think about this as an adventure. That really what Jesus does is he calls us, when he says, you're mine, he's inviting us on this adventure of a lifetime. And that's really what it's been like for us. Now that I can, in retrospect, start looking back at some of my life and and the life that we've lived, I can see, man, I don't think I would have ever come up with that on my own. I don't think I could have ever manufactured that. That's something that God has certainly led us in. And I look back with just fondness and say, thank you, Lord, for this adventure that I've been able to live. I mean, some of my most exciting moments have been in cross-cultural situations. I I, I remember we were missionaries in Bangladesh. There was a... uh, Bangladesh is a country, if you don't know where it's at, it's surrounded by India, and uh, it's one of the most densely populated nations in the world. It's about 160 million people in Bangladesh. The city that we lived in, Dhaka, Bangladesh, had about 18 million people. So if you can imagine that, like five times the population of Iowa in one city, about the size of Des Moines, that's how crowded this place was. And so I found myself, I was in a speed the light van and I had a bunch of other missionaries with me and I found myself at this, at this uh, railroad crossing and you know the, 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 the gate had come down so I'm sitting there at this railroad crossing with these missions and we're talking and waiting for the train to come through and it's coming in through slowly as the engine is approaching. Suddenly I looked up and on top of the engine, on top of the engine, not in the engine, on top of the engine was a fully grown man with a long beard, long hair, butt naked, standing there like this, taking in the smoke of the engine. And what's funny about it, actually, not that the guy was doing that, that was probably funny all by itself, but what's funny is that we, all five of us that were in the van, we looked up, we saw him, and we're like, oh, look. And then we just kept talking, like, if, like it's just the most natural thing in the world to see, you know, some guy... You know, so we've experienced all kinds of crazy things. I've, been, I've sat next to some of the poorest people on the face of the earth in, in Haiti. I remember this church service in this, uh, I can't even remember the place outside of uh, the, the capital, Port-au-Prince, but this church service that we went to, I was sitting in this, in this in the, the people had to come up this dusty, dusty hill. They would wear their nicest clothes and then sit in church for two, three hours worshiping God. I mean, I was just blown away and I was humbled by their, by, by their love for God and their desire to just have more of God in them. Very poor. It didn't matter that they were that poor. I've witnessed young Muslim men. Um, I've witnessed young Muslim men give their, you know, their, their heart to Jesus. I'm sorry, my, is that me? <laughs> no. Um, I've I've witnessed these young Muslim men come to to our discipleship training center in Bangladesh and and they would would say, hey, you know, we're Muslim, but we'd like to know about Jesus. You know, can you tell us about Jesus? We'd hand them an Injil Sharif, a New Testament, and they would start reading the New Testament. And I watched these young men go from curious and searching to following Jesus Christ to beginning to tell their friends about Jesus Christ to getting water baptized and then filled with the Holy Spirit and then going into ministry training. And now many of them, dozens and dozens of them, now pastors in Bangladesh leading churches themselves. I mean, this has been an adventure that we've been on. And I look back now at all these experiences and say, God, you have been with us. Thank you so much for this calling. Thank you so much for the mission that you have sent us on. And I just want to tell you guys, we are on a mission 
I talk a lot about living life on mission. In fact, I believe that's one of the kingdom values is that you and I are ambassadors for Christ. There's no such thing as, okay, you have special titles. You only, you only witness if you are pastor so-and-so or evangelist so-and-so or, or super Christian so-and-so. Every single one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been called to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ, period. Every single one of us. And being a follower of Jesus is not this boring proposition. It's not some kind of religious endeavor for the tamed. Being a follower of Christ is being on an adventure. And so what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about this this morning, of this adventure that God's calling us on. It's filled with danger, make no mistake about it, and risk. I think about when I was 41 years old, the Lord was speaking to my heart to move to Iowa to start a church. And I look at my son, I have three, at that point I had three teenage sons. I'm thinking, <clears throat> no, <laughs> I'm not going pl- to plant a church at 41 with three teenagers and move across the country. They were in high school and junior high and in Huntington Beach, California. That's another thing. I was in Huntington Beach, California too, <laughs> you know, and uh, come to Iowa to plant a church. And there were some, Tony, you're aware of this, there were some, some difficult days, hard days in trying to get this church up and running and growing and, and convincing people that, that, you know, we were here to stay. There's a lot of risk, there's danger involved in following Jesus Christ, but it's the most rewarding thing on the face of the earth. And I just want to encourage you to be on mission. I like what, John, what Jesus says in John chapter 20, verse 21, this is the uh, parallel verse to the Great Commission, Matthew 28. And he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So just as Jesus was sent by the Father to this earth, in many ways to be a missionary to this earth, Obviously the Savior, obviously the one who was going to lead the way of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But just as the Father has sent Jesus, now Jesus is sending us. You and I are on a mission. We're called to go. Again, we're not meant to just punch the clock day in and day out. It's too easy for us to do that, right? It's too easy to make attending church just a checkbox. I checked it off. I went this week. Oh, you know what? Let me add another check. I, I, I tithe. I check it off. That's not really what this following Jesus is all about. It's about giving ourselves completely over to him. So will you step out? There's this familiar story in the Gospel of Luke. Um, it's the story of the, the paralytic that some friends dropped him through the roof. You, you're familiar with the story, I'm sure. But I want to take a little bit of a different angle to talk about this, this story today. I want to talk about it from the angle of the four friends. Okay, because we read the story, we know the story. In fact, let me just uh, let me start reading in Luke chapter five, verse seventeen. This is this happens. This takes place in the city of Capernaum, and uh, this is Peter's hometown. In fact, some scholars think that this is this is actually Peter's house, the apostle Peter's house that this happened in. It says one day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea. And Jerusalem. Luke tells us who was in attendance that day. 
that there was this large crowd. They'd come from all over the place. A lot of very common people, ordinary people with needs, had come to hear about Jesus. Okay? But he makes it a point to say there was also some religious leaders there. There were also some skeptics there. What's interesting is that Right before this story, there, Jesus heals this leper. If you go to Luke 5, you'll see he, Jesus heals this leper. And tradition has said they hadn't, they hadn't heard of a miracle of the healing of a leper since, since, the, since Moses. And so since this had happened, there was rabbinical law taught that, that there's going to be these three miracles that are going to happen. One of the three miracles that's going to say this is the Messiah is the healing of leprosy. And so these religious leaders had just heard about this, and now they're sitting in there wanting to basically investigate. They want to know for a fact, is this guy really the Messiah? Verse 18, and the power of the Lord was, was with Jesus to heal the sick, so that the power of the Lord was there. I mean, we understand that, right? You understand that the things that we can accomplish in this world, the the healing that you can experience as, a, as, a, as, as an individual that maybe is healed from, from depression or, or any other kind of emotional, uh, emotional situations in our life, or maybe you've been physically healed, or maybe, maybe you were you know, totally lost and you came to Jesus Christ, you understand that that's not of your own work, right? You understand that that's not you making that happen. That's the power of the Lord working, and this is what's happening in this house today. The power of the Lord is there to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, <clears throat> there were some men, some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. They tried to take him into the house before verse 19. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, so you, you get the picture, right? Do you have a mental image here, here what's going on? There's this house, probably a small house. It's full on the inside. There's people outside of the house looking in. There's a crowd around the house. And so these guys show up with this paralyzed guy. They want to get in, but they can't find it. They, they try. They try to get in. They couldn't find a way. They went up on the roof. Now, this is, a, this is kind of like a redneck crew here, okay? <laughs> they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. That's a redneck move. I don't know if you guys would appreciate somebody saying, I can't get into the building, so I'm just going to climb up on this roof and tear a hole through the roof to get him in here. But that's exactly what happened. I want you to get a mental image, uh, image of this. Verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus discerns that this man's greatest need was not so much that he needed to be healed, obviously he needed to be healed, but that his greatest need is that his sins be forgiven, that he would spend eternity, that in the grand scheme of things, in the big picture of things, in the kingdom view of things, what was most important is that his sins be forgiven and that he would have a place in heaven. So Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. So when Jesus says that, the Pharisees respond, verse 21, so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? They start thinking to themselves this, right? Just so you know, Jesus knows what you're thinking, by the way. Whatever you might be thinking right now. Like that speaker up there, he's pretty ridiculous. Now, <clears throat> who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? 
Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Verse 24. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I love how they end that. We have seen remarkable things today. The healing of this man. Now that's a story that we're familiar with, right? We're familiar with the story. There's even songs written about this story. What I like about this Jesus and what I like about the Gospels is that they're actually filled with great stories. You know what makes a great story? A great story, when you like, go to a movie theater and you watch a movie or, or you're reading a book, you know what makes a great story is that you start translating yourself into the story. Like, you, like you're hearing the story and you're like, man, it's so captivating that you're in there. And then even further, what makes a great story is that you start imagining yourself as a character in that story. Like, who am I in this story? So in the story of this healing of this paralytic, who are we? And so what I'd like you to do is I want you to imagine yourself. I want you to imagine yourself as one of these four friends. Matthew, uh, Luke doesn't say it's four, but the Gospel of Mark tells us it's four friends. I want you to imagine that you're one of these four friends who brings this paralytic man to Jesus. And the first thing that you see here about these four friends is that they had compassion on their friend. They had compassion on their friend. Now, compassion is something that should lead to action. And so it's not just feeling sorry for them, for him. See, these guys understood that they had a mission to accomplish. They had a friend who was paralyzed. They heard about Jesus over there who had just healed a leper and that he heals the sick. And so when they heard about Jesus who heals the sick, immediately their thoughts went to their friend who is paralyzed. They were being perceptive. Sorry, my mic is stuck on my back. (laughs) They were being perceptive of the people around them. They were understanding the needs of those around them, the hurts and the needs of people around them. And they committed themselves to bringing that person to Jesus. Now, this can be messy. I mean, think about it, right? You have a paralyzed friend. The the context of the story kind of tells us that these four friends and this paralyzed man were actually not from Capernaum. They probably came from outside of Capernaum. Tells us that when they came, because they were not from Capernaum, they weren't really given access to Jesus. There was this crowd. They weren't allowed to get in. So... So they're from out of town. Can you imagine carrying a paralyzed person? Even four people carrying. It's like, yeah, that's a little bit too much work. And then they get up on a roof. I mean, these guys, these guys have some kind of, they're just determined. They get up on a roof and they tear a hole through the roof to drop their friend down. I mean, this was something very messy to do. And oftentimes when you start having compassion on somebody, it's going to require you getting your hands dirty. It's going to require, I mean, it's easy for us to sit back and say, oh, yeah, man, you really need Jesus, but I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to get near you. I mean, you need help. Maybe, maybe Pastor Drew can help you. <laughs> I 
But it shouldn't be a surprise to you because if you're a follower of Christ, do you realize that when Jesus came close to you, he got messy with you? He got messy with me? I mean, if I think about my life of where I've been, the, the addictions I had, the, 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 the vileness I had in my life, and yet Jesus wanted to be with me. He came into my neighborhood. He came into my atmosphere. He came into my space. He got messy with me. So I want to challenge you to think of somebody that you might know right now. Possibly that person's at a crisis point. Maybe it's their marriage is falling apart. Maybe they've lost a loved one. Maybe this whole COVID season has sent, has sent them into this terrible tailspin, emotional tailspin, and they're depressed. Maybe they are addicted to something. You know them. I know you know them. We all know somebody like that. Think of that person. Are you willing to get your hands dirty with them? Are you willing to get in, in with them? I want to encourage you to pray for them. Pray that God will open a door. Second thing we see about these friends is that they had faith that Jesus could make a difference, that Jesus would make a difference. <clears throat> you know, I've read this story so many times. I've preached this very same passage, I don't know, for the last 30-something years um, at different times. But it's only until, like, recently that I actually saw the implications of this verse here. In verse 20, it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, what I want to do is I want to encourage you to think about how we read the scriptures oftentimes. Oftentimes we read the scriptures, because we read the scriptures with already informed understanding. So we, we already have an idea of what it's going to tell us, especially if you've read the Bible before. You have an idea of what it's going to tell you. So as you read through, you already know. You come to this story in the Bible, you already know, oh yeah, that's the healing of this paralytic guy. I know this story already. And everything you think about, you think of it through those lens. It's the healing of this paralytic guy. And we don't necessarily see all the little nuances in there. What we see here is it says when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Whose faith did he see? Was it the paralytic guy's faith? See, this paralyzed guy had four friends that had faith that this guy could actually be healed had faith that Jesus could actually do something in, their, in his life. I mean, maybe this paralyzed guy, he had given up. And in fact, my experience is that. My experience is that the people who need Jesus the most, the people who are hurting the most, are the ones who have the least amount of faith to believe that God can actually do something for them. They've been in their situation for so long. They've been in that sickness for so long. They've been, they've been hopeless. So these four friends come along, and they just, they're going to have faith. I don't know if you've ever met anybody like that that feels hopeless. You know, when a person has been beaten down so much by life, sometimes it's hard to look up, and that's where you and I come into the picture. That's where you and I can actually have faith for that person. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for somebody called Sister Sleep. I'll talk, to her, talk about her in a minute. But you can be that for somebody. I like what... 
what Paul tells us, or the writer of Romans tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 12. This is a new century version. Paul's talking about imparting some gifts to some, to some friends, and he says, I want us to help each other with the faith we have. Your faith will help me. My faith will help you. Paul's talking about imparting gifts, and he says, our faith, our mutual faith can help each other. That you might be in a place where you're not, you're not, you just are, you feel hopeless. You feel like there's no way that God can do anything in my life. You might feel like I just can't, there's nothing I can possibly do at this, at this point in my life. And somebody comes along and says, hey, I believe that God can. How many of us, I can look at my own life along the way where somebody came along when I felt it was impossible, they came along and just said, yes, it is possible. And their faith propelled me forward. There might be even some people here right now that you're paralyzed, not physically, but spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. You've been beaten down by life. You're paralyzed by your past mistakes. You're paralyzed by bitterness and shame, by the hurts of your past. You know what? You can lean on your friends. Some of them can have faith for you. You can lean on us as we lean on you. That's really what Paul's talking about. That's really what faith means for us when we're in body, the body of Christ. In fact, this happens probably all the time here. Yeah, your prayer team's here. You know what they're doing? They're having faith for you. So when you walk into this room and you feel hopeless with your circumstances, you feel hopeless with your, maybe your addictions, you feel hopeless with maybe this emotional roller coaster you're on, you don't know if you could possibly make it, you have people that are having faith for you. You just go and pray with them. Amen? Next thing we see that these friends is they brought him to Jesus. They didn't just tell him about Jesus. They literally bring him to Jesus. You know, at Life Church, we've, uh, you know, we planted Life Church 15 years ago. And the Lord has really blessed us. I mean, in terms of numerics, we've grown quite a bit. And then there's been a... I mean, we've had an amazing team along the way. God has done a lot of cool things. And we've, we've really focused on making this life church inviting. You know, we want people to come. We want people to feel welcome. We, we, we go at great lengths to invite people to life church. Like every year on Easter and Christmas, we have these table cleanings that we actually put on every single table in the, in the mall, you know, and so people can see that there's a service coming up. I mean, we do a lot, and there's some measure of effectiveness to that, but, but you know what the most effective way of bringing a person to Jesus is? One-on-one. As you're living your life out, as you're living your faith out, is you call your friend, and you say, hey, I know you, I know where you're at, why don't you come with me to church? I really believe that God can do something for you. They actually, these, these friends, they brought their friend to Jesus. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people in our congregation tell me, look, I invited my friend and I asked her to come or asked him to come to to Life Church and she sat there and she wept through the whole service and she told me, it was as if you were speaking direct, like, like like she asked me, like one person said, she actually asked me, did you tell him about my life? (laughs) I didn't know anything about her. And her life has changed and transformed. Simply because one person said, hey, will you come with me to church? You see, when you pray for your friend, you have compassion on them and you invite them, that's where impact truly happens. 
1980, I was, uh, I was 17 years old. My mom, Amelia Irene Villalta, that's my mom's name. She, uh, my last name's Green because my dad's from Ohio. He's Irish descent. But <clears throat> um, in 1980, we immigrated to the United States. Uh, my mom um, was, we had five, we're f- I'm the oldest of five boys. And uh, so she was a single mom for most of that time. We were, when we came to the States, we were between the ages of five and 17. And we landed in Dallas, Texas. And, uh, you know, I remember I was excited about being in the States. I thought this was a really cool opportunity, you know. So we, we land here, and it was great, but it was, it was kind of tough. My mom was, um, you know, she had been married to an abusive husband. Alcohol, he was an alcoholic, and um, there was just a lot of abuse there in the family. And finally, eventually, they, they ended up divorcing. She raised us by herself. When we came to the States, the reason why we moved to the States is because in Panama, there was a mandatory, uh, uh, mandatory uh, 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 military service after you graduate from high school, so she didn't want me to be a part of that, so she said, we're out of there, you know, so we left. Um, and uh, so we moved to the States, we land here in Duncanville, Texas, a little, right outside of Dallas, and we moved in with my uncle, typical Latino style, you know, we had... Uh, all 12 of us, it was, it, was five, it was us five boys, my mom, my grandmother, my uncle and my aunt and my three cousins, and we all lived in this little, small little three-bedroom, one-bath house. <laughs> and I mean, it was funny because like at night, the entire floor would become a bed, you know, brothers sleeping all over the place, you know, and boys, if you can imagine, teenage boys, man, it was a smelly place too. <clears throat> Like my mom was trying her best. She was tired. She had worked hard. She had tried to raise these boys by herself. She did this. She, she, she worked two jobs. She worked at Arco Oil and Gas Company as a secretary during the day. And then at night, she would go into a doctor's office and do uh, medical transcription in a doctor's office. She did this five days a week, every week for, for years, just trying to you know make ends meet. Um, when, I, when I got to the States, I got my first job. And Maybe this is a Latino thing too, but I got my job and my mom said, I basically, basically had to give my mom my paycheck every Sunday, every, every Friday. I just, you know, I got paid and then she would take my paycheck, which wasn't much. It was like minimum wage was like $3.10 an hour. And so I give her my paycheck and she'd hand me like $5 back and say, thank you. Go, go spend some money, <laughs> you know, uh, to try to make ends meet. I mean, things were really, really tough for us. And uh, I remember one day we were in this, my uncle's house and we were just, uh, uh, she just needed to get out of there, so we took this. She said, "Let's go to Mr. M's convenience store." So we're walking down the street to this convenience store, and as we're walking there, here's my mom, us five boys tagging along behind her, you know, messing around, doing things like that. And uh, we're walking to this convenience store, and as we were passing, there was a, a church up on a hill. There was a field. There was a sign that said Memorial Assembly of God, and I remember, I clearly remember this. My mom stopped and looked at the sign and just began to weep. And she said, tomorrow, which was Sunday, tomorrow, we're going to church there. She had remembered that back in 63, when she first was, came, she came to the States for a visit, she had gone into a memorial assembly of God in Columbus, Ohio. And at that point, you know, just confessed that she was a Christian. She, but she, then she left Columbus, went back to Panama, never went back to church, never. But it reminded, it was like the Holy Spirit reminded her, this is where you need to be. And so when she said we're going to church there tomorrow, I was like, I don't want to go to church there, you know. But 
17-year-old kid can't tell his Latino mom, I'm not going to church. Sorry, that just doesn't work. Actually, a 30-year-old person, an adult, can't tell his Latino mom he's not going to church. So, so you know, I, I, I had to go. We went. And I honestly, I wasn't super impressed. I, it was a, you know, I had never been in a church like this. I mean, it was fantastic what was going on, but I didn't understand it. It was a Pentecostal church, and I didn't get what was going on. I didn't know why people were kneeling down, and some people were standing up, and some people were shouting and waving their hands, and then that guy up there, why is he spitting and yelling so much? What's wrong with him, you know? And I mean, all that stuff was going on, and this is just sensory overload for me that I thought, this is not where I need to be, but then I look around, there was like a lot of pretty girls. I'm like, okay, well, maybe I could come back, you know, I don't know. Um, and so this, is, this happened that day, I remember it happened, but let me tell you something. If that's all that happened, it would have ended right there. That's, that would have been the last time, except for Sister Leota Sleep, an amazing saint. She was a friend that my family needed. She was the one that decided that she was going to tear a hole through the roof so that these little green boys and their tired mom could meet Jesus. We had nothing in common. Sister Slate was an older saint. She had that, I don't want to be offensive when I say this, but she had like that beehive bun, <laughs> like Marge Simpson bun, you know? And, and my brother, my youngest brother, he was, he was scared to death of her. He thought there was like animals or something up in her, in her hair, you know. She was nothing like us. But she was a friend that we needed. She, was, she, she prayed for us. She cared for us. She had compassion on us. She would come to where my, my uncle's house and she'd come every week and she'd pray for us. Sometimes she'd come with groceries and prayer. When we finally found an, an apartment, my mother found an apartment. We were kind of living in, like, in the projects area there in South Dallas. And, and uh, she would drive across from where she lived, across Duncanville, and every single week for a year and a half would pick us up in her Granada, 1975 Granada. She'd pick all, all, five of, all six of us up, pile us in that you know, seatbelt laws were another thing back then. Pile us all in that Granada on Sunday morning, come back on Sunday night, come back on Wednesday night for a year and a half until I got my driver's license. In fact, she was kind of encouraging me to get my driver's license. Get your driver's license, please. <clears throat> she was a friend that we needed. She went to great lengths. I mean, metaphorically speaking, she climbed the roof, busted a hole through the roof, and brought me before Jesus. Now, why am I sharing this with you? <clears throat> you know, I've had the privilege of being all over the world. I've preached in all kinds of places. I've done ministry in all kinds of places. And uh, pastor a church in Coralville right now. I'm standing here before you, but I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for to go to sleep. And I say that because I look right now in this audience, and I think that there are a lot of Leota sleeps here. In fact, why don't we stand? I'm going to kind of bring us to a close. I know our time's almost up. I don't know where you are, and I don't want to presume to know where you are, and I don't want to presume to 
to say that you are feeling a certain way when maybe you're not feeling this way. But <clears throat> I think sometimes it's easy for us to get Christian and culturized to where we know how, we know the drill. We know what it looks like to be a Christian. We know what it means to be a Christian. As long as I go there and I, oh, at that right moment when Tony sings that right song, that's when I raise my hand and I worship. Or, you know, yeah, I, I tithe and, and I do my thing. I, you know, I check the boxes off. <clears throat> But I think that God's calling all of us on an adventure. In fact, I think right now he might be speaking to some of you to take a risk. That you have a friend. You have a friend that, that needs you, needs your faith, needs your compassion, needs your prayers. That right now you know this person. You know them by name. And God is speaking to you that you need to do something more than just have compassion on them. But you need to bring them. Whether it's bring them here to church or whether it's invite them into your living room and say, hey, let's have a conversation. Or whether it's take them to a small group. God is calling us to be ambassadors for him. And I just want to challenge you on that. Amen. I want to pray for you, but here's what we're going to do. What I'm going to ask you to do um, Let's just close our eyes for a second. And I, I want to speak. There might be some of you here. I don't know. Maybe there's some of you here that you're like, you just went through, you heard my entire sermon. You're like, I have no clue what you're talking about. Maybe you have never given your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never professed Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, and I just want to say to you that there is a God in heaven. There's power in this house right now to set people free. In the same way that that paralyzed guy was prayed for us. I mean, was, Jesus spoke words to him and Jesus told him, your sins are forgiven. In the same way right now, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, your sins can be forgiven. Jesus in the same way will speak to you and challenge you and encourage you. So I want to pray for you. Father, I just want to thank you, God. If you're, if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, I just want, to, want you to pray this prayer in your heart. Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender my heart to you. Father, I know that there's more to this Christian walk than just what I see, but there's something that you want to do inside of me. You want to take my sins and you want to pull them out and get rid of them. You want to give me new life. You want to draw me closer to you. So right now, Father, we just surrender our hearts to you, Father, whether it's somebody who's giving their life to Jesus for the very first time, or Father, whether it's a follower of Jesus who says, Jesus, I'm on mission for you, God. You're calling me. I'm willing. I'm ready. I know who I need to pray for. I know who I need to have compassion for. I know who I have faith for. I know who I need to bring to you. And right now, Father, will you help us? Will you help me to be an ambassador for you? Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I simply want to encourage you. I, I'm not necessarily going to invite anybody up. I know our time is up already, but I simply want to encourage you to 
to think about one person. Just imagine this. Let's do some math real quick. Imagine if every adult in this church said, I know one person. In fact, I know you know that person right now. I'm, 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 I'm 100% certain that as I was talking about who that one might be, you already had somebody in mind, a name in mind. Imagine if by the end of this year, you brought them to Jesus. Mathematically speaking, you probably double in attendance. Now imagine, let's just extend this out five years. Imagine the impact that LifePoint Church could have in Ames, on, Iowa, on ISU campus. Imagine the impact you could have if this became a part of your culture. I'm going to bring people to Jesus every year. At least one. I mean, that's not a lot. One is not a lot. Imagine if every one of us said, I'm going to bring one to Jesus every year. The impact, the exponential impact. Amen. I encourage you with that. God bless you guys. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.